Recording in progress. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Wednesday, March 9th, and it is great to see you all here today. Okay, so this week's Torah portion is Vayikra. The book that we're starting, the, the third book of the Torah is called Vayikra, a.k.a. Leviticus, and it's all about, at least it starts, with a description, detailed description of the sacrifices. So I want to share with you a take um, that comes from Maimonides that is very interesting. He got a lot of flack from this, but you'll, you'll, you'll hear why in a moment. So basically, Ramba Maimonides says that what was the purpose of the sacrifices? What was the purpose of the sacrifices? Not necessarily that God wants our animals. Again, this is not, not a conventional take. Not necessarily it's about the animals. It's really, according to one angle on this, it was really about moving the Jewish people away from animal sacrifice. Okay, so let me explain. Animal sacrifice, or in general, sacrificing things, was all the rage in the ancient world. Everyone was sacrificing. That was how they worshipped. They sacrificed animals. They sacrificed humans, horrifically, right? They, they sacrificed all sorts of things to their gods. So as part of the pagan practice, sacrifice was normal. This was something that the Jews had encountered and lived with in Egypt as well. Now, now that God is trying is creating kind of a new system, a new movement, you know, the, Jew, the Jewish people, Torah, mitzvot, etc. So God wants to kind of eliminate the whole sacrificial um, service. However, it's hard to go cold turkey. It's hard to go cold turkey and say, okay, no more sacrifices, that's it. Instead, God says the following. You want to bring a sacrifice? Okay, slow it down. Number one, it's got to be in one place. There's only one place where this is allowed. The Mishkan, the temple, etc. So if you want to do it, you can't just do it wherever you want. It's got to be in one place. Hey, Donna, good to see you. It's got to be in one place. Second, it can't be whatever you want, any animal you want. No, certain animals. Different categories of offerings, sacrifices, different types of animals. A male, a this, a that, the other, unblemished. Really putting the, putting the limitations, putting a boundary and a definition on this whole sacrificial service business. So this way, this is a way um, in which kind of the, the people will be weaned off of sacrifices all the time. Limiting it in time and space and type to very specific context. So Maimonides, again, this is Rambam, Maimonides, in his Guide for the Perplexed, he says that this was the intention of the sacrifices, not that God actually wants the animal sacrifices, but ultimately God doesn't want the animal sacrifices, and to wean us off of it, this was step one. Now, understandably, this caused a lot of people to who were reading Maimonides to say, Where's he getting this from? This sounds blasphemous. You're telling me that a mitzvah of the Torah, uh, uh, not only a mitzvah, but, but a, a mitzvah that spans a lot of verses, a lot of chapters, different types of sacrifices. All of this is just to wean us off of sacrifices? God doesn't really want it? That seems a little far-fetched. And thus you have different opinions. But this is one opinion, Maimonides, who says that God is playing the long game. God knows that it's not going to be snap your fingers Oh, no more sacrifices. Snap your fingers. Like, you'll be totally, you know, uh, 
uh, cleanse from whatever you know ails the human condition. It's not going to happen so quickly. So it's going to be a little bit of a longer process. Um, you should know in general, um, this is th- this is reflected in certain places in Torah. Like we've talked about the idea of slavery, right? How Jewish slavery is not really slavery in the conventional sense, but it is some sort of something, right? It is somebody being indentured, you know, indentured servitude, which is still not ideal. And the Torah says it's not ideal, but yet it allows for it. Why does it allow for it if it's not ideal? And one of the messages is that, okay, maybe the world wasn't ready to go cold turkey on this, on this whole slave-servant business. But it's going to be done now. It has to be done in a moral fashion. It has to be done in a, in a, in a uh, limited way with the ultimate objective that it should be totally eradicated. And it's taken a few thousand years. And we're still getting there. And hopefully we will get there. But it's an interesting take on the sacrifice, just something to keep in the back of your mind. Not everyone agrees with Rambam. Not everyone agrees with this philosophical approach that the sacrifices are, are really about, you know, kind of weaning us off of, of that, you know, modality of service. And yet, that's, uh, that's what he says. Rabbi, yeah. but we, it seems like that was the plan because prayer, right? Prayer is the modern but that's But that's only because the temple is destroyed. In other words, oh. when the third temple, right, Mashiach, right, Mashiach, third temple, what's going to happen? What are we going to do in the building? We have a nice bu- building, a huge building. Oh. What's going to happen there? Sacrifices or no sacrifices? So according to this approach of Maimonides, one, one could argue that they're not going to come back. But that seems a little bit hard to reconcile with the big emphasis that's placed on the sacrifices. And again, you're right. You could say, well, no, for all time now, from now on, or from, you know, the, it, the way it's going to extend is prayer supplants sacrifices. Prayer is the, new, is the new sacrifices. Okay. But not everyone agrees with that. In fact, most, most, most opinions maintain that when the temple, you know, the third temple, there will be sacrifices. It's coming back. Right? The whole sacrifice service is coming back. Okay? Again, this is, these are different ways of understanding it. But something to keep in mind as we go through the sacrifices. So up until now, Monday and Tuesday, the last two days, we've been reading about the details of the Ola offering. Ola, I'm putting it in the chat. Ola would be spelled a, um, O-L-A-H. Ola. The Ola, sacri- the Ola offering is the... Um, Literally, it means the elevation offering, the ascent offering, the burnt offering. It's the offering that is completely burnt in the altar, and it's, and it's given by a person who simply wants to do something for God, wants to give a gift to God. A person says, I'm just feeling in a good mood, in a generous mood, in a loving mood. I want to give a gift, a sacrifice. I want to do it for God. I don't need to. I want to. It's a voluntary offering. The Ola is a voluntary offering that gets completely burnt on the altar. Whether it's an animal, uh, sorry, a heavy animal like a, a bull, whether it's a lighter animal like a sheep or a goat, whether it's a bird, all of these items are burnt completely on the altar. Yesterday and the day before, actually, we started talking about the meal offering, the meal offering. Actually, no, we did it yesterday. Yesterday about the meal offering. Meal offering was a flower option. Right? If one could not even afford the bird, there was a flower option. And not all of it was burnt in the altar, only a three-finger uh, fistful of that flour. And we talked about either it's just flour and oil. By the way, I did not make, I mentioned yesterday about making bread. I did not bake bread yesterday, last night. Anyway, hate to disappoint. But, but, 
Um, there's a flour offering, then there's the flour that's already baked into loaves offering, whether it's um, flat loaves or crispy loaves or not so crispy loaves, wh or whatever, uh, wafers, crackers, etc. All that good stuff. Would we have prophets advised about sacrifice when we build the third temple? Yes. Yes. So someone's got to know their stuff. <laughs> someone's got to explain what to do because honestly, we're going to need a lot of guidance. Just saying. Just saying. There's going to be a lot of details. Um, yes, that is correct. Now, uh, that was the that was the the, the, uh, the mincha offering, the flower offering, which is also in that category of Ola. Today we begin the shlamim. So let's jump right inside. This is reading number four for Wednesday. As you see, Torah reading for Vayikra, we have highlighted the number four, fourth reading. Let's begin Leviticus three, chapter three, verse number one. Now, if his sacrifice is a peace offering, oh, we could use that right in the world, a peace offering. Okay, shlamim, peace offering. So, this is not the burnt offering, it's the peace offering. What's the difference? Ah, I'm glad you asked. The burnt offering, the whole animal's burnt, or the bird, or whatever. But a peace offering, I'm going to mix words, a piece of the offering is burnt on the altar. A piece is consumed by the Kohen, eaten by the Kohen. And a piece is eaten by the one who brought it. It's divided three ways. Some for the altar, some for the Kohen and some for the one who brought the offering in the first place. This is not burnt. It is completely, it's, it's divided into three um, directions. So if the sacrifice is a peace offering, so again, different options. If he brings it from cattle, whether male or female, oh, with the burnt offering, it was only male. Now with a peace offering, it could also be a male or a female animal. So unblemished, he shall bring it before the Lord. Once again, we had the same stipulation with the burnt offering. It has to be an unblemished animal. No bringing uh, the animal that you, you look down on anyway, like, oh, that animal is like a blemished animal. Let's give it to God. That's not, that's not how this works. It has to be an unblemished, healthy, kosher, obviously, animal. Okay, what's the process? But again, already we have one distinction between the peace offering and the burnt offering. The peace offering could be brought from male or female. The burnt offering was only male. So just FYI. Next, and he shall lean his hand forcefully upon the head of a sacrifice. That was the same, leaning the, ha the, the, um, the hands on the head. We talked about that a few days ago. And he shall slaughter it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Once again, it's shechted, slaughtered outside the, build, the, the covered building. So the altar is right there also, the wash basin, the altar. So there was a space where they slaughtered the animals. This was in the temple courtyard area, open to the sky. And Aaron's descendants, the Kohanim, remember, officially the, the slaughtering could be done by a non-Kohen, even though it was typically done by a Kohen. But now the Kohanim are needed for the next part for sure. The Kohanim shall dash the blood upon the altar around. Dashing the blood around the altar from this uh, peace offering. And from the peace offering, he shall bring a fire offering to the Lord. In other words, uh, uh, take a look, take a look, take a look. From the peace offering, part of it, right, from the peace offering, not the whole peace offering, from the peace offering shall be a fire offering. In other words, some of it should be burnt on the altar to the Lord. Comprised of which pieces shall be burnt on the altar? The fat covering the innards and all the fat that is on the innards. Two nuances. 
and the two kidneys along with the fat that is upon them, which is over the flanks. And he shall remove the diaphragm with the liver along with the kidneys. So these are the items that are removed from the animal after it's slaughtered and after the blood is dashed around the altar. These parts of the animal are removed and we'll see soon burnt on the altar. Yeah, Sarah, do you, do you want to jump in? Yeah, so you're saying that those pieces are removed and then the rest is divided into three. No, those are, um, those are the parts that are burnt and on the burnt. altar. Yeah. yeah and, that, the, and then the rest is divided into three. Into two. Part of it's consumed. consumed. Oh, okay, so this is the third that's burnt. Yeah. Okay, this, yeah is the part, this was the part for God. So it's going to be three parts. It's going to be some for God some for the Kohen, some for the one who brought it. So what's the part for God? And again, we just, just so you see it in the verse, so you see what I'm talking about here. It says, and from the peace offering, that means part of the peace offering, he shall bring a fire offering to the Lord. That's the part for God. And, that's, and why is it called fire offering? Because it's going to be burnt, as we'll see soon. It's going to be burnt on the altar. So yeah, these parts are removed, burnt on the altar, and that's what's a gift to God, so to speak. Okay, um, and Aaron's descendants, i.e. the Kohanim, the priest, shall cause it, or these items, to go up and smoke on the altar, apart from the burnt offering, which is on top of the wood that is on the fire. In other words, um, in addition to any burnt offering, like we, any burnt offering that we just discussed the last few days, in addition to that, this also should be burnt on the altar. It's just saying that typically on the altar there would be burnt offerings, you'll also have a piece of the peace offering. P, oh great, how do you spell peace? P-I-E-C-E, -E, a piece of the P-E-A-C-E -E offering. Maybe I should just say it differently. A portion, right? Forget, forget the, the, the double language. A portion of the peace offering was also burnt on the altar in addition to the, typically, to, the typ to the typical burnt offering, which is on top of the wood that is on the fire. Okay, it, this piece or these pieces of the peace offering is a fire offering with a pleasing fragrance to the Lord. Okay. And by the way, the rest of the animal is divided between the Kohen and the person who brought it. Okay, so again, just to clarify, the parts that's burnt on the altar, let's just read that one more time. It's the fat covering the innards and all the fat that is on the innards. I guess it sounds like there's two different layers of fat, so to speak. There's the covering the innards and on the innards, although it sounds in English, it sounds kind of the same. But we'll see, we'll, we'll see if we have some clarification in Rashi soon. Two kidneys and the fat over the flanks, and the diaphragm, and the liver, in addition to the kidneys that we spoke about before. Okay, all those items are burnt on the altar. Next. Um, actually, let's pause here for a moment. Let's pause right before. Okay, we're up to verse 6. Okay, we did five verses. Let's jump in on Rashi. So, Rashi says right away, why is it called peace offering? Rashi says it is so named because they instill peace, shalom, in the world. Okay. When you bring a peace offering, it brings peace to the world. Again, I think it's like, you know, all synchronistic. It's all by divine providence that we're reading about the peace offering that instills peace in the world on a day, you know, at a time when we need a lot of peace in the world. You know, Donna mentioned before how prayer takes the place of sacrifices. So we can't maybe bring a peace offering, but maybe we can learn about the peace offering and talk about a peace offering and maybe that will instill peace into the world. Like, uh, like back in the day. Now, another explanation why it's called a peace offering. Yeah, yeah Donna, jump in. Do oh, hold on. Don't forget to unmute. 
Right. So what specifically would emanate, you know, what differentiates it from the other offerings that it would amend itself to peace? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, you know, I, I the second explanation explains that it, uh, like I said before, that a, a little piece goes to every to everyone, so everyone's happy. So everyone's, you know, in the arrangement, everyone's happy. The guy who brought it is happy. The coin who facilitated it is happy, and and God is happy, so to speak. So like everyone, so that's the second explanation. The first explanation, it stills peace in the world. Why? I don't know. It doesn't explain. It it doesn't. You know, it doesn't. I, can we say because of the second reason that explains the first reason? That's kind of what I'm thinking. In other words, the reason why it instills peace in the world is because it's like a microcosm of a kumbaya. It's like, right, if I could buy the world an offering, right? It's like, it's like everyone's, everyone's sharing in this. It's like me, you, God, everyone's sharing. It's all together. Okay? Maybe that's why it instills peace because its whole, its whole um, nature is about um, inclusion. Maybe. Were there specific blessings, different blessings for this offering as you know blessings were not recited before i don't oh actually hold on i shouldn't say they weren't um recited i'm not sure if there was a bracha blessing recited before shechting an animal before offering the sacrifice i mean it is a mitzvah um was there a blessing recited i'm not sure you know it's something that we don't do so it's like it's a different, I'm not going to say it's a different Judaism, I just said it, but it's like, it's a different, it's a whole different, you know, reality that we're not uh, at all used to. It must be just a divine, you know, for, for God, that's what it represents. Or it could just be for God. If you mean, this right. offering just somehow brings peace. But either way, prayer, but not only prayer, when we study about, it all says in the books, prayer takes the place of sacrifices, but when we study about the sacrifices... It's also like we brought it, which is why, by the way, I should mention every morning as part of the prayer service, before the morning service, it's interesting, before the morning service, um, there's a section called Karbanot, which means sacrifices. And we read about the daily offerings. It's like a few pages. Um, look, if you only have a limited time to pray, I would say, you know, focus on the main prayers, Shema, Amida, etc., but if you're doing the full suite, you'll encounter these prayers. Why? Because we say that our lips should take the place of our hands, so to speak. We can't bring the sacrifice, but we can talk about it. And so may God consider, and we say there's a small paragraph that says, may God consider the utterance of our lips as if we've brought the sacrifices, which is kind of cool. I'm trying to see if I have a sidder in here. I don't think I do. So we're doing oh, we do. this for now. Oh, I do. Here, check us out. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And if we're learning about the peace offering, right? Please, God, we should have peace. Um, I'll read to you the paragraph. It says, it's right here. If you have the, the, the Siddur, the Chabad Siddur, it's on page 22 in the English. Is that the Saturday service Siddur? You would do it all, yeah, same thing, same, same guy. Same one. Okay. Um, so and we do it, okay. actually, we do not do it Shabbos morning, but it says like this. Um, Therefore, Oh, here, check this out. Master of the worlds, you have commanded us to offer the daily sacrifice at its appointed time and to burn the incense offering at its proper time with the Kohanim officiating, the Levim chanting, and the Israelites attending the service. Now, through our sins, the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, is destroyed. The daily sacrifice and the incense offering are discontinued. And we have neither, we have neither Kohen officiating, nor Le 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 Levi chanting, nor Israelite attending the service. 
right? We don't have it anymore. Therefore, we say to God, may it be your will, Lord our God and God of our fathers, that the prayer of our lips be regarded and accepted by you as if we had offered the daily sacrifice at its appointed time, attended its service, and burned the incense offering at its proper time. As it is said, we will render the prayer of our lips in place of the sacrifice of bullocks. That comes from Hosea. And it is said, this is the law of the burnt offering, the meal offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the consecration offering, and the sacrifice of the peace offering. Basically, by talking about it or studying it, may God, we, we say, may God con, um, consider it as though we had actually brought it. Okay, good. So peace offering is good for today. Yes, Joy. Is, is it possible, I mean, I'm not sure I was reading something, but it, it's not real clear. The peace offering is between an individual and God, and the other offerings are between the priest. They're done on behalf, but they're done by the priest. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting point. I don't know. I don't know that there is that distinction. In other words, that this one is, is between the person directly. It's between the individual and God. It's direct. Direct, right. Could be. Could be. Whereas other ones, there's almost... But I, I, so I don't know. I don't know. And I mean, in all cases, it's the Kohen that has to get involved on some level. Somebody brings it, the Kohen officiates. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's some nuance there that makes it more of a peace offering because it's direct. It could be. could be. I have to look a little bit more into that. But what I think is interesting is Rashi's second reason, which may influence the first. Right? Another explanation, Rashi says, they're called shlamim, peace offerings, because they bring about harmony, shalom. Since some portions of the sacrifice go to the altar, some go to the kohanim, and some to the owner of the sacrifice, the one who brought it. Okay, next, the fat. Here we go. This expression comes to include, this part that's burnt, comes to include the fat that is on the ma, the lowest stomach, and all the more so the fat upon the intestines. These are the words of Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Kiva, however, says it comes to include only the fat upon the intestines. Okay? There's a dispute among, in the Talmud amongst the great rabbis, Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Akiva, these were greatest of the greats, about which fats were actually included in this obligation. Is it the fat of the, uh, only of the intestines or also the fat of the ma? What's the ma? The lowest stomach. I don't know, I'm not a... My, 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 aunt, my cattle anatomy is not as, my cattle anatomy game is not as strong as it perhaps should be. I need to, as the kids say, I need to level up my cattle anatomy game. I think I said that right. All right. Um, what about the two kidneys? Uh, yes. Me. Your grandfather knew though, right? All the- I would imagine he knew this stuff for sure. Yeah. He, he made his way around the inside of a, of a, of a, of an animal. By the way, when he would shecht, so he would go, you know, he lived in Pittsburgh, as you guys know, and he would go to different places. He used to go uh, back in the day, you know, years ago, years ago, he used to go. He was in uh, Denver, Colorado, and that was the famous story where he went to Coors Brewing and whatever. I guess he used to spend the week there. He would go in the beginning of the week and, and go back home at the end of the week. It's, you know, you go to Denver, you're not turning around, you know, 1960s, 70s or whatever it was, whatever decade it was, you're not... Uh, or 80s, you're not doing a quick turnaround. I Probably 70s or 60s. Anyway, so he, I guess at some point, he found himself at the brewery in, you know, Coors uh, Golden, Colorado brewery situation. 
And he took a tour and he told them that, that you have very good beer. You should go national. How come we don't get it in Pittsburgh? <laughs> he always took credit for Coors going national. Whenever, you know, he would encounter an ad for Coors, he'd be like, I told them, I told them to go national. It's classic. Anyway, so that was when my, I guess. Yuling, Yuling is, is the famous beer from Pennsylvania now. Uh, there's Rolling Rock from Latrobe. Yuling is more of a regional or could be regional. could be also yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not uh, I'm not so well versed but <laughs> but it, it's funny I should have probably prefaced it at that point Coors was only a local thing and that that hence the conversation right. so it must be kosher then right I mean uh, I mean not all beer has a heksha but it doesn't always require heksha especially if uh. it's just if it's just manufactured from whatever they manufacture from, from natural ingredients and nothing added, no colors or whatever, or like a- extra flavors. According to most, it's kosher. There's a li- very comprehensive list. Chicago rabbinical count. If you ever want to know about kosher um, lists, and it's not only alcohol, but any kosher lists, oh, okay. it's uh, really good. Go to um, CRC, Chicago Rabbinical Council. They do a fantastic job of compiling lists. So, example, let's say you tequila. You want to know kosher tequila. And probably, Donna, you've looked at this. I, I probably mentioned this I to you did. before. Yes, yeah. I did. If you want to know, like, kosher tequila, kosher brandy, kosher rum, kosher beer, whatever it is, CRC. Just type in CRC kosher liquor list. Boom. You'll have it in a second. A PDF. You know, it's, uh, it's available. Um, listen. Drink responsibly, etc. Now, this is... I'm not pushing pushing uh, booze over here. Just conversation about... Uh, oh, you know what? Just, I'm we got to do that... Passover wine tasting we were going to do two years ago. I know. Maybe this is the year. Maybe not. Let me, I'm going to look at the calendar. I was actually thinking about what we're going to do pre-Passover. It might not be a bad idea. Let me think about it. Thanks for reminding me. Back to this point. So my grandfather, would shech, he shechted in Denver. He shechted in Erie. You know Erie? Erie, Pennsylvania. Sandusky, Ohio. These were places that had schlachthuizen. That had, uh, slaughterhouses. Coached that with the kosher operation. So, yeah, he definitely knew his... What was my point? Oh, so he used the shecht. Um, part of it was a, a steer, steer, like a bull, like straight up. And he had a story once where... And he told the story many times. A story where um, a steer got loose and it rammed him in the back. It, it, it actually, like, charged at him. I don't know if you know how how it hit him. It hit him fairly hard, but he was okay. He used to wear a back brace, like a steel brace for his back. I guess you know he was getting older in age, um, and he was standing all day. And you know it's 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 very labor intensive work. Um, his specialty, by the way, was checking, not not necessarily checking the animal, which he also did, but it was checking the inside, checking the lungs, and doing that kind of. Um, autopsy in the animal to make sure that it was a healthy animal because even if it's a kosher animal and it's slaughtered properly right if it's unhealthy like for example if there's a hole in the lungs which happens very often with these animals if there's or any abrasion or whatever like, like uh, it's it, you can't eat it. it's not kosher that renders it not kosher if it's unhealthy so kosher really is a very healthy standard in addition to the spiritual stuff it's a very healthy standard of uh, of eating all right back to our story so yes, um, oh, and I see Sarah wrote maybe hard fat. It could be. I, I'm really, uh, I'm really out of my, uh, out of my expertise when it comes to this stuff. But if we look here, there's more stuff that's described. The flanks, right? Talked about uh, removing the kidneys with the f- fat on the flanks. So Rashi says, 
For in the case of a live animal, the fat that is on the kidneys is situated at the height of the flanks, and they, the flanks, are situated below. Okay, this is the fat beneath the loins, which is called, okay, with the white fat visible above upon the height of the flanks, while on the lower part of the flanks, the fat is not visible because the flesh covers it. I'm sure it would be easier if we actually were looking at a, you know, a thing, but, you know, we're, we're just trying to read it from the text. Diaphragm is the dividing wall separating the thoracic cavity, breathing organs from the abdominal cavity, organs of digestion, which is called, okay, in the Aramaic language, it is called the chavda chatsura, the yard of the liver. That's the diaphragm, the liver along with the diaphragm, which covers the liver, you must take a small amount of the liver. And that is also birthed in the altar, the liver along with the kidneys. In addition to the liver, in addition to the kidneys, he shall remove this, the aforementioned items. Burnt offering. Okay, Rashi clarifies. In addition to the burnt offering, from here we learn that the daily burnt offering precedes any other sacrifice on the wood pile of the altar. Oh, that's fantastic. Look at this, Rashi. That's a, that's a huge idea right there. Dropped. Look, we said that bring the shlum and bring the peace offering. The part of the peace offering is is, is burnt on the altar, right? Um, apart or in addition to the burnt offering that is on top of the wood is on the fire. Rashi explains that apart or in addition means that it's literally on top of the burnt offering, which means that the daily burnt offering precedes any other sacrifice upon the wood pile. What order on the wood pile? And a person might say, who cares? Just burn it on the altar. No, specific. The first thing on the wood pile is the daily burnt offering. That's what's brought first, and then everything else is on top of that. That's the first layer. Okay, um, cool. Let's, let's continue with verse number six. And if his sacrifice for a peace offering, we're still in the category of shlom peace offering, but if the sacrifice of the Lord is from the flock, whether male or female, unblemished he shall bring it. So once again, like we did with the burnt offering, it's the same deal. You could bring it from cattle, like from heavy animals, so to speak. You could bring it from... Flock, i.e. sheep or, you know, sheep, goats, like that type of animal. And again, in this case as well, since it's a peace offering, it could be male or female, but it has to be unblemished. If he brings a sheep as a sacrifice, then he shall bring it before the Lord. And once again, with the peace offering from a sheep, male or female, unblemished, he shall lean his hand forcibly forcefully upon the head of a sacrifice and slaughter before the tent of meeting. And Aaron's descent shall dash its blood upon the altar around like we had before with the, um, with the, what do we, what do we refer to it as a cattle? We didn't specify. We just said cattle. So the same thing with the cattle is with the, the flock offering. Okay. Verse number nine. And from the peace offering, he shall bring a fire offering to the Lord. So we understand if it's an animal, if it's cattle, if it's like a, a bull or a steer, we got it. You bring the liver, the fats, the diaphragm, whatever, whatever we discussed before, the kidneys. But if it's a peace offering from, from a sheep, what do you do? So he says the fire offering, what's being burned to the Lord, is comprised of its choices part, which is the complete tail. Interesting. The tail. Who would have thought? Which he shall remove opposite the kidneys and the fat covering the innards and all the fat which is on the innards and the two kidneys along the, with the fat that is upon them, which is over the flanks. And he shall remove the diaphragm with the liver along with the kidneys. So you have your list, similar lists as before, with the addition of the choices part, 
the complete tail. That's added when it comes to a sheep. And the Kohen shall cause it, all this stuff, to go up and smoke on the altar as food for the fire to the Lord. That's with a sheep. What about a goat? What about a goat? And if a sacrifice is a goat, again, a peace offering, male or female goat, he, unblemished, he shall bring it before the Lord, and he shall lean his hand forcefully upon his head and slaughter it before the tent of meeting, and Aaron's descendants shall dash his blood upon the altar around. So far, so good. So far, it's the same. And from it, what do you give to God? He shall bring his offering, a fire offering to the Lord, comprised of the fat covering the innards. I don't see a tail here. The fat covering the innards and all the fat which is on the innards and the two kidneys with the fat that's upon them, which is over the flanks. Then he shall remove the diaphragm with the liver along with the kidneys. He shall remove it. I, I'm with the, I know I'm reading it kind of quickly, but I, I'm pretty sure it's identical. All three cases, cattle, sheep, and goats, it's identical. I think the only distinction is that when it comes to a sheep, it also is what's called the choices part, the tail. Whether the choices part of the tail or the tail is the choices part of the animal, I don't know exactly. We'll see Rashi in a second, but there's a tail involved with a sheep. Um, and the Kohen shall cause it, i.e. all these items, to go up and smoke on the altar, consumed as a fire offering with a pleasing fragrance. All, oh, so now we add, we add a line here. Kol chelav lashem. And we're going to fabring about this. This is going to be our, our takeaway insight, that, that line right there. Those three words, all sacrificial fat belongs to the Lord. Okay. This is an eternal statue for all your generations and all your dwelling places. You shall not eat any fat or any blood. Wow. So all the fat should not be eaten. It goes to the altar. It goes to God. Blood also not to be consumed. It's not, it's not uh, permissible. Now, I, I really want to get back to these last two verses in a moment, or at least uh, the last verse and a half. Let's first do Rashi, and then I want to focus on these, and then we're going to close it out. Okay, here we go. Let's, let's get Rashi, starting with verse number six. Let's see what we got. Okay, if he brings a sheep as a peace offering, since among the sacrificial portions of the sheep, there is something that is not among the sacrificial portions of the goat, namely that the tail of a sheep is offered up on the altar. These two, namely sheep and goats, were divided into two sections. Rashi is addressing, why are we dividing livestock into sheep and goats? Last time, when it came to the burnt offering, we just said cattle and livestock, sheep and goats together. Now we're doing cattle, sheep, and goats. It's three separate discussions. Why are we dividing sheep and goats? And the answer is, well, we know. Because the sheep is different than the goats. The sheep includes a tail. The goats, the tail was not burnt on the altar. So since there's that fundamental distinction between sheep and goats, they're divided into two different sections. Okay. Dash, it's blood. Two applications of blood were required. All right. The choicest part, let's talk about the tail. The choicest part, usually chalbat means it's fat. Here it means the choicest part. And what is it? The complete tail. There you go. It's not the choicest part of the tail. It's not like there's a part of the tail that's better. No, no, no. The choicest part, which is the complete tail. The whole tail is the choicest part of the animal. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure why the choices part of the sheep is considered to be the tail, but so it is, that's the way it's phrased in Torah. Opposite the kidneys, above the kidneys, which give counsel. Kloyes yoyotzeis. The kidneys are considered to give counsel. By the way, it's interesting, it's interesting, I saw this recently. This phrase, kloyes yoyotzeis, um, kidneys that give counsel, it's a phrase that finds itself in many places in Jewish literature. 
It's kind of like when a person makes a gut decision. You ever hear that term? A person makes a gut decision, right? It's coming from my kishkas, like I feel it, I know it, I can sense it. So in, in uh, Jewish terminology, it's, re- it's connected with the kidneys. But what's interesting is I saw somewhere recently, and I don't think a, maybe a Jewish source, maybe not a Jewish source, where it was talking about like something about the kidneys and why kidneys is associated with advice or counsel or decision-making, why it's, you know, in ancient times, why there's that association. It's not just a Jewish association, association. It's a general association somehow with the kidneys and, and guidance, advice, counsel. Why, why that connection? What's that connection? I forgot what I read. It's like just like a week ago or so. But if I encounter it again, I will share. But it, in general, you know, we, we talk about the, you know, I feel it in my gut. It's a gut decision, right? I have a, a sixth sense about something, you know? Maybe it's, who knows? Maybe it's the kidneys doing their thing. Um, let's get back inside. Finish off the Rashi's. Um, okay, we're done with the Rashi's. We are done with the Rashi's. I want to focus now on the last verse and a half before we close it out. Okay, so let's look at let's look at this last line of verse number sixteen. Call chelav Lashem all all fat. I want to leave out this uh, the the brackets. All fat belongs to the Lord. All fat belongs to God. What does that mean? What does that mean? So chelav. Oh, oh, and then in the next verse it says, don't eat any fat or any blood. Oh, I need to mention, before I get into my insight, just to clarify, the fat that we're referring to here is not, if you get a piece of meat and has some fat on it, it's not that it's not kosher. It's certain fats, the fats that we spoke about, right? Certain internal fats are, you know, not kosher, and that has to be cut out. You have a piece of brisket with a little fat on it, that's not what we're, we're not talking about that fat. It's the fats that have been specified that need to be burnt on the altar. That fat is for God, even in private situations. In other words, even when a person slaughters an animal, not for a sacrifice, but for consumption, those fats are, per, are forbidden to be eaten. That's what the Torah is saying. Literally, eternal statue for all your generations, all your dwelling places, you shall not eat any fat or any blood. In all your dwelling places does not mean the temple. <laughs> the temple only was in Jerusalem. You couldn't bring an offering outside of Jerusalem. So when it says eternal statue for all generations, all your dwelling places, it means in 2022 in Atlanta, Georgia, if you're eating, if you're eating kosher food, kosher meat, it does not include the forbidden fats. That has to be cut out. So understand this. Let me just give you a bit of a context, a bit of context. In a, in a kosher slaughterhouse, you have to start off, here's how the process works. You start off with only kosher animals. So you bring kosher animals into the slaughterhouse. Then you have to shecht it properly. Not all the time, not every time it's shechted, it was done properly. It's a very precise action. If, it's, if anything goes wrong, the, the whole thing, it's not kosher. And it's like I, reading the Torah, right? The, because you, you have to make sure every single letter is correct. Well, with the Torah, you can go back and, and reread it. With, with shechita, right. you can't go back. Once it's done, not, if it's done not right, it's not kosher. And what happens? So every kosher slaughterhouse has a connection or has a, a deal with any number of other suppliers of meat and anything that's not kosher just gets shipped off into the other department or the other wing of, you know, whatever it is. It's just moved off. So number one has to be, has a kosher animal, checked it properly, inspected internally, and then, and then all the blood has to come out of it. 
So you have to, you, uh, sorry. Then you have to cut out all the pieces that you can't eat, including the internal fats that we discussed. And this, we haven't discussed it today in this context, but we know from Genesis, from Bereshis, the sciatic, um, the nerve, right? The Gedanasha, when Jacob got hit by the angel and he was limping, so we don't eat from the animal, from a, we don't eat uh, that part of the animal by the sciatic uh, nerve. So the whole sciatic nerve, anything in that area is cut out. It's just, it's, all of that is shipped out to the non-kosher department. It's all shipped out. What you have left is now kosher meat. But still you have to salt and soak and salt the meat to get out to extract all the blood. After that, what you have is kosher meat. That's how you get kosher meat. Now, one thing, that kosher meat is going to have fat in it, but that's not the forbidden fat. The forbidden fat is those internal fats that pre... That's the flesh, fat of the flesh, I think. Correct. This is right. That's the other fat. The fat that's forbidden is the internal fats yeah. that's already cut out pre... kind of just... that's that's tossed before. Rabbi, All right. can, can, is, is raw meat, raw beef kosher? Because, you know, there's carpaccio, that's raw beef. Like sushi? I don't believe that there's any prohibition against it. The only prohibition, assuming that everything else is kosher, assuming the blood, assuming that all, all the, uh, assuming that all the steps that I just detailed have been done, whether you roast it, cook it, bake it, fry it, grill it, or not, <laughs> that's our, or don't do anything. That's uh, that's personal discretion. Um, what can't be done though is eating a limb from a live animal. That's, and you might think like that's obvious, but that was a thing that happened back in the day. Uh, from a live animal, you can't eat. You mean while it's full, just bite on it while it's... Oh I gosh. believe that there are dishes that are brought in some restaurants where the animal is still moving or the fish or something is still moving and you're eating it from the thing. I believe that there's such a concept. In Judaism, that's forbidden. In fact, it's one of the seven Noahide laws. There's only seven Noahide laws, but one of them is the prohibition against eating, uh, eating from a live animal. And you should know that that's an overarching prohibition against any cruelty to animals, because that's the foundation of that. And you're going to say, well, cruelty is killing the animals to eat. And I get that. If somebody doesn't want to eat animals, that's, that's, that's fine. We understand it as a part of an integration, elevation opportunity for the animal, which can be done in the right context and only in the right context, and that's the allowance. If somebody doesn't want to do that, okay, it's fine. Um, but to eat from a live animal is not to elevate it, it's to just, it, so it's, also, it's sort of cruelty. hunting for pleasure to have a trophy is also that. A hundred percent. One thousand percent would not be kosher. In other words, to kill for sport. Right. No. No. To trap and to shecht and to eat, that's something else. Fishing. If you're going to eat the fish, okay. Okay. It's fine. Plus the idea is that we're elevating the animal's soul. And yeah, that's the, that's right. That's the, yeah, that's the personal integration. Anyway, right. so what's the point? The point is that we have to be careful because certain parts of the animal are not eaten. By the way, I don't know the percentage. Yeah, I wish I could ask my grandfather. It would be, be uh, first of all. Anyway, um, I wonder the percentage of an animal. If you have a, a cow, right, or a steer, right, of, of the total amount that theoretically could be eaten, how much at the end of the day is kosher? It's only a percentage of that animal that's kosher. After you cut away all the other stuff, and you trim everything and whatever it is, 
It's a percentage. Now, is it 60%, 70%, 40%? I don't know. I don't know, but it's it's not. It's, it's like us. The Jews are such a small percentage. Yeah, of yeah. The kosher, the kosher is only a certain percentage of, of even a kosher animal. After everything is done correctly, you're still only going to end up with this. That's why some types of cuts of meat are just preemptively not kosher, like uh, rump roast or whatever it is. Like I don't know if that's what it's called. I think that's what it's called. But anyway, that's that. Even from a kosher animal, whatever. That's where the sciatica is. That's where the sciatic nerve is. That's that's. Cut out before anyone gets started. That's already gone. That's already shipped out. So certain cuts just just can't be kosher because of where they're located on the animal. All right, but let's. I want to. I want to give you a, a spiritual um, message over here. All fat belongs to the Lord. Yes, we don't eat it. It's burnt in certain cases on the altar. But no, we never eat that fat. That's the simple meaning of it. But the deeper meaning is like this: fat represents pleasure. Fat is synonymous with pleasure, right? It's just, it's just it's a pleasure. So what it means is, it's an instruction and a message for us, kol chelev l'ashem, our pleasure should be for spirituality, for spiritual things. That what should we enjoy? It should be the, 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 the righteous stuff, the good stuff, the holy stuff. Often in life, the stuff that we enjoy is not the holy stuff. The stuff that we do, because we have to do, is the holy stuff. And so the Torah is telling us, we should take pleasure in what we do for Hashem, what we do for God, or for the other person. We should enjoy helping someone else out. We should enjoy lighting Shabbos candles. We should enjoy um, wrapping tefillin, going to shul and davening, you know, uh, eating kosher, etc. Like, we should enjoy that, although eating is... Anyway, but wait, we should enjoy the mitzvah experience at least as much as we enjoy the you know self-serving stuff that we do. Then the next piece of it is you shall not eat any fat or any blood. Once again, the fat and the blood. So fat again represents pleasure. Blood represents um, passion, and the idea here because right blood is like vitality, like energy, and fat is is pleasure. So the message here is that the pleasure. And the passion should also be directed to God, should be directed to God and not for ourselves. You shall not eat any fat or blood means don't make it about yourself. The passion, what are you excited about? You wake up in the morning, I'm excited. What are we excited about? Right? Lunch? Or are we excited about Torah study? Let's, let's, let's get excited. Let's get the heart racing when it comes to, to holy things, to spiritual things, to, to worthy things. And uh, this is, obviously, it's not a snap of the finger, but the point is, this is the goal in self-development. Speaking about our animal soul, not just the animal, the physical animal, but our animal soul, it's how do we get our animal soul on board with more of a spiritual, uh, more of a spiritual um, pursuit. Okay, good. All right, on that note, let's close it out for today. Donna, I will, I still am going to send an email, please God, today. Man, it's been... Uh, it's been hectic, but please God, it's going to happen today, about Monday, so we're going to make it happen. Okay, great to see everyone. Have a wonderful day. Don't forget, tonight, 7.30 p.m. is Torah studies. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. jump in. I know. I'm sorry I missed at the beginning, but just in two sentences, I, I didn't catch the rationale. So my, my, my Maimonides is saying... Oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So Maimonides, 
yeah, Maimonides' angle, he writes this in, t in his guide uh, for the perplexed, which is like his philosophical work on Torah. So he's explaining how, you know, philosophically, God was trying to wean us off of animal sacrifices. So God, so back in the ancient world, anything and everything was sacrificed anywhere, anytime. Animals, okay. humans, any location. And God says, no, 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 no. First of all, no humans, obviously. Number two, not all animals. Not all places, not all times, not all contexts. Very limited, very limited yeah. context. There's there's a few, a handful of, of options. Each option has a very limited scope of which animal can be brought. Male sometimes, male and female, but certain very limited way of, of, of sacrificing. And that way, my mommy says, hopefully we'll get the message that God maybe doesn't, you know, doesn't want us to just go nuts with the sacrifices. And then and maybe the sac, right. Maybe that the sacrifices are long-term will not be. Yeah. Like so it. that was, that's his angle. He got a lot of flack for it straight up. He got a lot of flack for it. All right. Um, how do we reconcile that with, with what, with, with traditional beliefs and, and a third temple and, and, and sacrifices? And how can we say that a whole book of the Torah is only a concession to human weakness of need, at that time of needing sacrifices? I mean, that's very hard to fathom. That's for another time, but just something to, it's an interesting angle to keep in mind or to think about perhaps as we go through these discussions. Okay. Um, great to see you. Don't forget, I was talking about tonight. Don't forget tonight, the class is... The class is called, hold on, I have it up here for myself. When it comes to Judaism, it's personal. Oh, burying the hatchet. It's all about the axe and the wood and the handle. And not an accident, but you'll not see. Not an accident. Not an accident, but an axe. No axe throwing tonight. Axe throwing away, perhaps, but not axe throwing. All right, that, I've said too much. That's tonight, um, 7.30 p.m., live in person and on zoom check your local listings and join us okay we'll see you all um rabbi yes rabbi Ari, how do we how do we get into the behind the scenes in ukraine is it do we just do the um meeting id and password is all i can find i don't find old school yeah i didn't set this okay, up cool. this was done by another rabbi rabbi silverman up in uh cobb county here so we're we're joining with with him on this yeah he didn't post the direct link he only posted the meeting ID and password. It's a little bit manual. You have to like type everything in. So that's, um, yeah. Maybe maybe I can get a direct link from him and then post it again tomorrow. We'll oh, so see. Rabbi, as of now, I don't think we have a lot of people scheduled to come on Monday. So I usually, I'm counting on your, your email persuasion talents. <laughs> I'm gonna try my best. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now that the work is cut out for me. No, I'm kidding. I'm, yeah, I'm going to try my best. Okay, great. Great to see you all. Um, see you hopefully tonight. Take care. Bye, Sarah. Bye, Donna. See you guys.